I would invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 3 this morning. We're going to continue our series in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, we're going to spread, uh, we're going to look at verse 1 through 10 today, but we're going to break this into uh, two uh, weeks. So we're going to look at this passage over the next two weeks, today and next week. And I knew that our time would be a little bit short uh, today because of this uh, presentation. And so uh, we're going to end up breaking this passage apart as we focus in on some different aspects of it. And I want to this morning just immediately get into uh, the Word of God. And so John chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and the region around the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry." He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Father, we thank you for your word. I, I pray in the, the next few moments, Lord, that, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would help me to communicate uh, what it is that you want us, your people, to hear today from your word. Lord Jesus, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. Lord, help us uh, to be the people that you've called us to be in the time in which you've called us to live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now this passage begins by saying, in, in those days, John the Baptist came baptizing. And, and there's a 30-year gap here between the end of Matthew chapter 2, when Jesus had to flee to Egypt, you'll recall that Herod was persecuting him and, and, and chasing after him and looking for him, and, and Jesus had to flee to Egypt with his family, still a toddler, still a young boy, and then Herod died, and, and they came back to settle in, in Nazareth as, as, a, as a young family. But here, there, there's a gap, there, there's a jump, the, the timeline jumps forward some, some 30 years or so. 
We don't know exactly, but we do know that uh, Jesus was about 30 years of age when he began his ministry. And it's about 30 years of age. We, we know you, you could be 35 and be about 30. You could be 25 and be about 30, depending on how people look at you. Some of you are 65, and you'd still tell people you're about 30. So uh, anyway, so there's a great deal of time that, that passes here. And, and during that time, that 30 years, Jesus lived in Nazareth, and he lived there as a carpenter. The, the Gospels tell us that. He, he worked uh, the trade that his uh, stepdad worked, Joseph, as a, as a carpenter. But then he goes on to say that, that something here is fulfilled, that, that something here has come to fruition. And, and he, he gives another evidence for the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, that, that Christ is the King. And we've seen here, John gives several evidences to this point, attesting to the nature of, of who Jesus was, that he wasn't only a carpenter from Nazareth, he, he is the king of Israel. He is the king, not only of Israel, he's the king of the nations. And that this is the argument that Matthew is making, and he's using several evidences to make that. The, the first he gave us, you'll recall, was the earthly lineage the earthly lineage that he traced back to King David, that, that Jesus has the right to fulfill the promise that God made to David, that there would be someone who would sit on his throne forever and ever. He pointed to not only his earthly lineage, but his divine lineage, tracing his origins, not just back to a human father, but to God the Father. That Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. That, that he entered into human history as the man Jesus Christ, but that he existed for all eternity past as God the Son. That, that he has no beginning and no end. He truly is eternal. But this divine Son who has existed for all eternity entered into human history, adding to his divinity humanity, being fully God and fully man. We saw the witness of the Magi, the, the, these mysterious characters who, who come out of nowhere and, and begin to search for the king whose star appeared to them. We even see the witness of King Herod as Herod recognizes that Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus as the Christ, poses a threat to him and to his power. And so Herod wants to destroy Jesus. We saw that Jesus was going to be despised. He, he's going to be called the Nazarene. He's going to be rejected. And we see how he was rejected even by his own people. And so uh, Matthew has been pointing us back to these, these prophetic writings, these, these, these uh, prophetic declarations, the Old Testament narrative, and saying, check, Jesus fulfills that. Check, Jesus fulfilled that. Check, Jesus fulfilled this. And he's making a case that Jesus is not just a Jewish carpenter, but that Jesus truly is the Savior of the world. That Jesus truly is Emmanuel, God with us. And so here, he gives another evidence. Here he, he lays before us part of Jesus' life that fulfills the Old Testament prophets. And so he says that this is he, that John the Baptist coming and preaching, 
In verse 2, he says that this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. And here he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40. I'm going to flip back there uh, quickly, and and you're welcome to, to join me. Isaiah chapter 40. Here he quotes from this passage, Isaiah 40. He doesn't quote the entire passage. Most of the times when the New Testament writers quote a passage from the Old Testament, they're they're using a a kind of shorthand. And and there's actually a lot more going on there that we can see as we actually look at everything that is said here. But in Isaiah chapter 40, looking at verse 3, it says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight In the desert, a highway for who? For our God. And who who was John preparing the way for? For Jesus. And so even him quoting from Isaiah, the, the forerunner, the voice who was to prepare a way, was to prepare a highway, to prepare a way, not just for a normal individual, but for God himself. And in verse 4, he says, Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the uneven ground shall become level, the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Here, what, what Isaiah is referencing is in, in the days of Isaiah, as a herald would go out in ancient times, it was common before a king would come, before a king would arrive, before someone of importance, someone of nobility, before them would go forth a herald who would go and say, the king is coming. The king is on his way. Get ready for the king. You, you don't want to be, you know, twiddling your thumbs. I don't know if people still twiddle. Actually, they do twiddle their thumbs. They call it Twitter now. But anyway, you don't want to be twittering your thumbs when the king arrives. When, when someone important, when someone of nobility is coming, there are preparations that need to be made. And John is going forth as this voice to prepare the people of God to receive God, to receive their king. But in, in that day, it was common for a herald to go out and to, to, to announce as he went on the road, the king is coming, the king is coming down this way and, and get ready for the king. And often as he traveled, behind him would come a a working crew who would even level out the road that the king was going to travel on. Where there were bumps in the road, they would level them out. Where where there were uh, potholes like there are all over 1604, they would would fill those in. They They would make it smooth so that when the king went over the road, he would have a smooth Ride, And this is what John is doing. John is going out and he's declaring, he's saying, get ready for the king. Whom Isaiah tells us is actually God himself. Now, before John comes on the scene, there was actually a 400 year silence. Where God did not speak, where God did not send a prophet, where God did not send a messenger. 
between the last book of the Old Testament and the book of Matthew, there's a, a 400-year gap where God did not speak. Now, 400 years is a long time. No prophetic voice, no prophetic direction. You know, our nation is only 246 years old. The entirety of our nation. God had not spoken to his people for 400 years. And in the last 100 years before John the Baptist comes on the scene, the, the nation of Israel has been under Roman occupation. So they're not their own country. They're not their own nation. They're part of the Roman Empire. They're under Roman rule. And the last prophetic utterance is in the book of Malachi. And if you want, we can flip back there. So it's just one or two pages over from Matthew. The very last thing that God had spoken to his people 400 years prior, if you look at Malachi chapter 3, Malachi 3 verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. This, of course, was prophetically fulfilled in Christ as Christ came to the temple. But then as you move, we move forward to the very end of the, the, the book of Malachi, the very last prophetic word, the very last thing that God spoke to his people was Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. He says, I'm going to send a messenger. I'm going to send one to prepare the way for me. And, and he is going to come in the spirit and the power of the Old Testament prophet, Elijah. We don't have time to turn there this morning, but, but Jesus in Matthew 17 says, John the Baptist is Elijah who came. He's not literally Elijah raised from the dead. That's what a lot of people were waiting for. But Jesus says, that's not what this passage was saying. Jesus says he was going to send a messenger who would come in the same power, in the same spirit, with the same anointing, with the same ministry as Elijah. And that is John the Baptist. He comes as really the last of the Old Testament prophets, the, the last of the ones who, who came to make way the Lord, the, 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 came to make that way ready for the Lord to come. And so onto the scene after 400 years of silence, out of nowhere bursts this very rough individual, this sort of wild man out in the wilderness. He's introduced in verse 1 as John the Baptist. Now this doesn't mean he was part of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's not a Baptist by denomination. That's, that's not what this means. It's, it's pointing towards his ministry of baptizing people. It's also translated in some Bible translations as John the Baptizer. He didn't, he, again, he, didn't have, he wasn't credentialed through the SBC. He, 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 that was his ministry of calling people to repentance and, and baptizing them. 
His clothing and his diet were very unusual, even for his own day. It was very rough. It says he was dressed in camel's hair. He, he sort of wore this, 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 the, 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 the skin of a camel. And, and it wasn't like today where you go to Chanel and get camel hair, you know, whatever, you know, very expensive. No, this was the most um, a common, the most basic of ways to cover yourself. It, it wasn't the, the, the clothing and the garments of the rich and the wealthy and the powerful. It was the, the garments of the poor, of the, of the simple. Simply wearing a, a, a camel's skin over him and then tying it around with a leather belt. His diet was also very unusual. As he says, he ate locusts with wild honey. Now, I know most of us on Sunday after church, we do go and eat lunch. I doubt that any of us today were planning to go and eat locusts and wild honey. Has anybody even tried that before? I think I want to try that. I was just thinking about that right now. That sounds like a lot of fun. I might do it this week and report to you. If I'm not here, you know what happened. Um, it's very unusual. Wild honey. He, he didn't buy it. It meant, it meant to, to get the honey he wanted to put on his locusts. He had to go and contend with bees. So John was probably all bee stung and as he's preaching, might have a locust leg hanging out on his teeth. I mean, in, a, in camel's hair, no, no pants, right? Like, imagine this guy out in the wilderness, out in the boonies, out where nobody goes. He, he lives, and, and you can read uh, in Luke, it, it tells the story about how John was even his birth was a miracle, and, uh, uh, and Luke's gospel opens with telling the story of, of John's birth and, and how even from his mother's womb, he's baptized in the Holy Spirit for the, the ministry that God had for him, this very important ministry of preparing the way for the Lord. We can tell that John was someone who had rejected the finer things of life, his diet was rough. His clothing was rough. He didn't live a life of luxury or comfort. He, he didn't live a life in the city. He lived out in the wilderness. He didn't care what other people thought about him. That wasn't what he thought of in the morning when he got up and put on his camel hair. He wasn't trying to impress people with his fashion sense and his being in vogue and and up to date with the times, not a concern for John the Baptist. Can we agree on that? Not, not really the top priority from him, for him. And, and all of this, the, the way he lived his life, is also indicative of the message he preached. Not only was his demeanor rough and hard, not only was his diet unusual, his message was also hard. His message was also rough around the edges. The message he preached embodied his lifestyle. He, he lived out what he preached. And this message that he preaches, it says he came into the wilderness of Judea preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is a scandalous 
message. This is a shocking message. He begins to call God's people, God's chosen people, the Jewish people. He begins to call them to repentance. And it says that many were going out and and were being baptized in the Jordan. We see this in verse 6. Being baptized in the Jordan River. Confessing their sins. Now, it's hard for us to understand this because when someone comes to faith in Christ, they, they are baptized, they do confess their sins. And for us as Christians, it's, it's sort of part of the normal uh, rhythm of, of being a church is that we see people who, who come to faith in Christ and they are baptized and they confess their sins, they put their faith in Jesus. But this, at this time, was, was scandalous because the only people up until this point who would ever be baptized in Israel were Gentiles, were people outside of the covenant, were, were the, the, the others, were, were the people who, who weren't part of, of Abraham's natural family. They weren't descendants of Abraham. They weren't part of the covenant, but they had put their faith in Jehovah, in Yahweh. And they, as part of coming to faith and, and becoming grafted into God's covenant, they would be baptized, symbolizing them washing away their Gentile filth, their sinfulness. And here comes John this very wild man out in the wilderness, and he's saying God's people need to repent. God's people have become so corrupt that you are outside of the covenant, that you are outside of God's plan, that, that you like a, you're, you're like the Gentiles. You're, you're living life like the world. And you think that just because you're a descendant of Abraham that you can live a life of sin, that you can live a life of rebellion against God, that that you can just go your own way and do your own thing, John shows up and says, you got to repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's it's breaking into the world. The king is coming. And you need to get on the right side of the king who is at the gates. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Again, this message, it's hard for us to put ourselves in that position because we don't grow up in a world that has the Jew and Gentile divide as the defining nature of of the the, the defining reality of our identity. But, But for them, it would have been utterly scandalous. And yet God begins to to prick their hearts. God begins to to work on them and, and he begins to move on. The hearts of the people. Notice here the the sense of urgency with which John preaches. His message is that the the kingdom of heaven, and again, this this word heaven is synonymous with the, the other four gospels, the other three gospels that talk about the kingdom of God. Matthew writing to a primarily Jewish audience doesn't want to unnecessarily offend them by potentially uh, taking the Lord's name in vain. And so he doesn't use the the phrase 
kingdom of God as the other gospel writers do, as his audience is primarily Jewish, he substitutes it as was common in their day with the kingdom of heaven. But notice here, he, he doesn't say that the kingdom of heaven or that the kingdom of God is often some distant future reality. He doesn't say that the kingdom of God is, is going to come sometime at the end of human history where everything is wrapped up. No, that's not what he says. What does he say? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, it's right here. It's, it's about to break in to our world. It is upon us. And even when he's speaking later to the unrepentant Pharisees and Sadducees who came to, to sort of spy out and judge John, what does he say to them? He says, God can raise up sons of Abraham even from these stones. Don't think that just because you're a descendant of Abraham, don't think that that's going to somehow make you right with God. God can raise up sons of Abraham from these stones. And you and I, dear friends, are evidence of the fact that God from stones has raised up sons of Abraham as he has grafted us Gentiles into the covenant today. Amen. That God has replaced our heart of stone, as Ezekiel talks about, with a heart of flesh. That his work and his spirit have moved in our lives in such a way to cause us who were outside of the covenant by birth to be reborn into the covenant through faith in Christ. But even he says, don't think being a descendant of Abraham is going to save you. He says, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. He's saying God is about to come and destroy and wipe out and clear out this perverse religious system that you guys have devised in my name. That They had produced this thing called Judaism, which was a perversion of the Old Testament Mosaic law. They were keeping people bound. Jesus comes and says, you're keeping people out of the kingdom of God through their religious system. And John says, God is coming and he has laid the ax to the root. That means that it is one more swing and this tree is falling over. Notice the urgency. He doesn't say this is happening someday in the future. He says this is about to happen right now. That God is going to bring judgment on this wicked system that you have devised. Judgment is coming and he says, have you made yourself ready? And so he urges them, he presses them, he, he, he contends with them. Don't delay, don't wait. The kingdom of God is here. John came to prepare the way for the Lord. And just as a king would have his road cleared to travel on, so John here is calling the people to clear out whatever obstacles, whatever sin is in their lives that would stop them from receiving the king. It's a very confrontational message. But notice here the results. What are the results of this message? Well, it says, then Jerusalem... And all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to 
him. And they were baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. What are the results of this unconventional character who's preaching this very rough, confrontational message? What are the results? Revival are the results. Revival breaks out. God begins to prick people's hearts. God begins to open people's eyes. People are, are their souls are, are laid bare when confronted with their sin, when confronted with their hypocrisy, with confronting, confronted with the deceit, the lies that they had been living in. As John calls them to repentance, the Holy Spirit grants them repentance. They turn from their sin. They confess their sins going into the water. And it's not a small group. It says Jerusalem, all Judea, all the region surrounding the Jordan. It gets the attention of, of the upper echelon of this religious system in Jerusalem. The Pharisees and Sadducees who were mortal enemies with one another. They go out to see this. And what does John declare to them when he sees them? Oh, wonderful we got a seat saved just for you. Oh, we're so happy you came to church today. What does John say when he sees them? You brood of vipers. I don't know if you know this, but in the Bible, snakes, no good. Not that you don't, from the very first pages of the Bible, snakes are not good. He's saying you're filled with the philosophy of Satan. You brood of vipers. You bunch of little Satans running around. Who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? This is an intense message. The revival that breaks out doesn't come from some soft, mealy-mouthed, feel-good preacher. It's hard truths coming from a Rough man. You want to talk about someone rough around the edges? All John had was edges. <laughs> John doesn't come from some, some Ivy League pedigree. He doesn't come from the theological system. He's not part of the in crowd. He's out in the wilderness. He's also unafraid. He also preaches boldly. He also declares the truth unvarnished. And the results are revival. And as I was pondering on this this week, I just began to think about how desperate our nation is for revival. John was out preaching in the wilderness. Man, just even walking around San Antonio sometimes, it feels like we're walking around in a wilderness. We need revival. Our nation, our nation, I believe, is in a similar place. I believe God, even right now, is laying the axe to the root. And without revival, we die. 
We need revival. Psalm 2 says that Jesus is king over all. He's king of the nations. And that he judges the nations in righteousness. Our nation has so much blood on its hands. The, the, the amount of sin that's been stored up in our nation, the amount of depravity, the amount of wickedness, the amount of rebellion, not in ignorance, but in, in knowledge of God and of his son, blaspheming his son. The, the amount of wrath that God has stored up for this nation is beyond imagination. And right now, the Lord in his grace and in his mercy gives us an opportunity to repent. I believe the, the, the trials that we are going through, and not just our nation, this is a worldwide shaking that's happening right now. God is shaking the nations. It's in his grace and his mercy that he would call people back to repentance. But there's only two options. It's either repentance or judgment. That's it. And if our nation will not repent, our nation will be judged. We need national repentance from the top to the bottom, from the highest levels of government to to the, the very lowest rungs of society. If there's not repentance, there will be judgment. And it's not just our nation, it's every nation. I'm talking about our nation because this is the nation that we live in. This is where we're at. It's revival or we die. It's repentance or it's justice. And we need to, brothers and sisters, we need to pray that God would raise up some John the Baptists in our day. That, that God would raise up some messengers who would go out and not be afraid and not be ashamed and not be cowardly, who are okay with being called unusual, who are okay with being labeled as rough, who, who are okay with even at times being misunderstood. We need voices, prophetic voices in our nation who will call people to repentance. And we as God's people should pray that he would raise up voices in our communities who would preach the truth with such boldness, with such conviction that we would see revival in our day that we would see God move in a mighty and a powerful way. You know, I grew up in the days of the early 80s, and there was a time in which we really had a, I remember as, even as a kid, a, a real sense that God was, was moving in our land and, and in our churches and in our, and in our meetings. God wants to move today. I thank the Lord for, for those, but we need revival. And unless God breaks our hearts 
And, and it needs, it, the Bible says judgment starts with the house of God. That, that God's people have to become convicted. God's people have to put away their sin. It, it's it's the, the covenant people. It's, it's the Jewish people that have become so sinful that they need to be born again. They need to be baptized again. They, they need to be brought into the covenant. And how many so-called Christians today live their lives totally divorced from any reality of living for God? How many people today, even in, inside the church building, only ever think about God 90 minutes out of the week? We have to repent. We have to be broken before the Lord. Judgment is coming. Judgment is here. God, the righteous judge, will not overlook the sins of our land. God, the righteous judge, will not overlook the bloodshed of abortion. The 62 million babies, their blood running in our streets. You think God overlooks that? God, the righteous judge, will not overlook the sin of Sodom that's paraded in our streets, literally paraded in our streets. Look at what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah. Why do we think that we will escape the wrath that is to come? But God in Christ offers us grace, offers us mercy, offers us redemption, offers us salvation. But if we reject Christ, what does Hebrews say? There no longer exists a sacrifice, atoning for sin. And we live in a nation that is rejecting Christ. And unless our nation turns to Christ, we will likewise perish. What's going on in the world today? It's not hard to understand. God is judging the world. And the question is, how deep does the axe have to go before God's people first will wake up, will stop living like the world, will stop valuing the things of the world, will stop caring about what the world thinks, will stop sending their kids to go be indoctrinated by the world, will start doing what God has called his people to do in their homes, will start living their lives for the Lord, when, how bad does it have to get? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to follow Christ. The axe is laid to the root. The kingdom is here. We need to pray that God would raise up some bold preachers in our land who would disturb people, who will shake people, who, who will wake people up from their slumber.
John said the kingdom is at hand. When Jesus came, he brought the kingdom of God to the world. The kingdom of heaven has broken in to our world. And God's kingdom has been growing for the last 2,000 years. The kingdom is that rock that Daniel saw, the, the vision that, that Daniel interpreted for King Nebuchadnezzar. The, the rock that was cut out without hands that, that destroyed the kingdoms of the world and replaced the kingdoms of the world with the kingdoms of God, the kingdom of God. The kingdom is, is growing in that way, and it will destroy every system that exalts itself against the name of God. Amen. And our system today is secular humanism. God is going to destroy it. God is going to destroy it. And it can either come through judgment or through repentance. It can either come through justice or through grace. I prefer grace. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that is working its way through the lump of dough. It's like that mustard seed that is so small and it's planted as a, as a tiniest of seed but grows into a huge tree. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is growing. The kingdom is expanding. Christ is king now. And he will rule the nations. And have you made yourself ready for that kingdom? Have you repented? There's an urgency that's laid upon us by this message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And some of you, even here today, have been playing games with God, playing footsie with God, pretending to be a Christian and showing up here on Sundays and clapping your hands and singing the songs, but you leave this place and return to your life of sin. Today is the day of salvation for you. Today is the day to repent, to confess your sin, to call out to God for salvation. To quit playing games with God. God's not playing games. Make way the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Make it ready. God offers grace in Christ. Grace. Unmerited favor. We receive the work of Christ. We receive what he did on our behalf. We, 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 we reap from, we, we enjoy the fruits of him paying the price for our sin. Christ suffering on the cross. It's not just some picture. He accomplished something. He really did something there. He, he really endured the justice of holy God on behalf of sinners. And we can, we can receive that work because of God's love and grace and mercy. But if we reject that, we likewise will receive the justice of God. There is no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through me. Let's not play games with God. Let's cry out to God for revival. Let's cry out that God would, would break our hearts 
that in the, the hardness of our day, we wouldn't allow the world to harden our hearts to the things of God, that we would be soft and tender before the Lord, that we would seek him earnestly, that we would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that all these other things will be added to us. I invite you to stand with me. invite our, our prayer ministry to come, whoever's on prayer, prayer teams today, to come and be ready to receive anybody who would want to receive prayer today. If you're here today and you've been on the fence, you've been playing games with God, you've been going your own way delaying. There's no more time for delaying. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. We must repent of sin and receive the grace of Christ. I believe there's many more of us here today who have been calloused by life. And we need God to break our hearts. We need him to move by his spirit in our lives. We need his conviction to rest upon us, to, to drive us to our knees to drive us to prayer, to drive us to the word, to drive us to evangelism, to drive us to seeking first his kingdom. We live in a culture that says you can seek the kingdom of the world and also follow Jesus. Jesus comes and says you can't have both. Lord, help us to see how how much we need you. Help us to see how bankrupt we are without you. God, set us free from our pride, from our arrogance, from our self-righteousness, from every ounce of thinking that we have anything to offer you. Help us to see that it's only by grace and grace alone. It's only by the work of your son. It's all of grace. Help us to be all, set us free from being so casual about grace. Let us live our lives in awe of your amazing grace. Help us to live for your glory 
Lord, that you, the supreme being of all the universe, who has called us into relationship and fellowship, our maker, our creator, our God, our king, help us to live in awe of you. Help us to live with you as the preeminent thought of our life and our day. Lord, we repent of all the mindless, meaningless, purposeless, frivolous activities that we distract ourselves with with 24-7. We repent. We turn from it. We humble ourselves. We ask that you would put a burning conviction in our hearts for the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.